Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. We're going to be looking at how God saves people. You know, the first thing that you need to understand is that Jesus is a sinner seeking Savior. He's going after people. He's going after you and me. Salvation is a very one-sided, extreme proposition. You have to understand how God works. God saves those people that can't save themselves. Otherwise, it wouldn't be salvation. As we begin to look at Romans 10 this week and next, you'll find out that what you know can actually save you. Similarly, what you don't know can keep you blind and lost. So if you know the Savior, you're going to hold on to His salvation as His salvation begins to take hold of you. Here's another thing that you learn about God and the way that He saves people. When you start paying attention to Jesus and looking to Him, He begins to save you. That's why in John 6.40 it says, for my father's for my father's will that everyone who looks to the son that's those people that pay attention to Jesus and believe in him they shall have eternal life in other words they'll be saved and i will raise them up in the last day so listen in and find out how god saves people it says but when How does God save people? When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Wow! When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared to where we could see it, we could sense it, we could know it, we could understand it. Think about it. Isn't that when you gave your heart to Jesus? When his love and his kindness appeared to you? I've memorized this, by the way. Listen to this, and I'm not bragging. I'm doing this to encourage you. I'm the most horrible memorizer in the world. You think you're bad. You might say, I'm bad at memorizing. No, I am worse than you. I can't remember people's names. I can't remember anything. In fact, it's starting to scare me. I'm memorizing scripture this week. I've memorized, well, this week and part of last week, I've memorized Psalms 23. Not a tough one because it was already kind of in my head. Psalms 34, that's, that was a feat. <laughs> that's not a short uh, chapter. It's not super long, but it's not short either. Then I memorized um, Psalms 131. Now, that one was short, but that came out of our Wednesday night thing. Memorized that one. Then I memorized Titus 3, 4 through 7, and then I memorized Colossians 1 through, 3, 1 through 4. Memorize Scripture memorize scripture i'm re relearning the importance of knowing god's word by memory and knowing where it's at so i encourage everybody to memorize so this is one of these scriptures it says uh he saved us not because of the righteous things we've done there's not a soul who's been saved by jesus because they were a good person that's not why jesus saves Jesus saves good people. Jesus saves bad people. All right? He, not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. He saved us. Here it gives some more insight into how God saves and what methods he does to save. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's presence in this world. 
And if you've been saved by Jesus, you were saved by the Holy Spirit. You were saved by the Spirit of God. Renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he has poured on us, out on us, generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, <laughs> this, this, there's not a word in here about what I do to get saved. This is, you know, salvation is very extreme and very one-sided. Very, one, very extreme and very one-sided. Jesus saves us, and I, I'm going to tell you the part we play, but I want you to step over here into the extreme of what I'm saying. Jesus saves you, period. Jesus saves, period. Let's not get all hung up, because I'm going to step over on this side the rest of the time, <laughs> but let's not get caught up in what we do. Let's just for a moment just contemplate the fact that Jesus saves, and that's how it works. <laughs> That's how it works. Don't forget that. We as Christians and churches are always over on this side. You got to do this. You got to do that. Come on, let's go. And that's important. I'm not demeaning that. But more importantly is the fact that Jesus saves. He goes after people. He's what we call the hound of heaven. <laughs> he comes after you. He goes after you. You reject him. You push him back. You're not interested. And I'll never forget this, this image that came into my head of what it looked like when Jesus saved me. You know what happened when Jesus saved me? I was walking on one side of the street going that way. He was on the other side of the street going the opposite way. And he whistles at me. And I picture Jesus and God. I picture them as big old strong guys that's that's under anything you could describe god as but let's 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 boil them down to our human limited limited minds here's god big old massive guy he looks at me our eyes meet and he whistles at me and he says he motions with his finger and says here come on come over to my side and i say no i'm not going to do it and i keep walking he whistles again his whistle gets my attention I look back he says <laughs> he raises his eyebrows he shakes his finger he says here come here I keep going my way so God crosses the street grabs me by my shirt picks me up and says you're coming with me that's how God saves people that's what it takes for each and every one of us to be saved is the sovereign, powerful, mighty act of God saying, I'm going to save you. You're drowning. You're in quicksand. or You're, you're, you're dying. I'm going to rescue you. All right? We've got to consider the salvation of God, the power of God that's required for the salvation of mankind because each and every one of us was going our own way when God interfered with what we were doing and said no i'm gonna save you it's powerful it's powerful absolutely powerful that's titus 3 4 through 6 mentions nothing about our 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 part in the salvation process and we do play a part i'm not saying we don't but we've got sometimes to see this extreme one-sided proposition that god has for us. so now we're going to kick into romans 10 I think we only cover like three or four verses today. 
So I don't know. This, this might go for a few Sundays, which is fine. But Romans 10, starting at the very top, in verse 1, how does God save people? Brothers and sisters, now Romans is written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome at that time, the persecuted church in Rome. People dying horrible deaths, families being pulled apart, that kind of church. He said, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. And I'm sorry I can't give you a whole summary of what Romans chapter 1 through chapter 9 talks about. We don't have time for that. But he is talking about, in chapter 9, I wish my people, because Paul was, he was a Jew, I wish my people would be saved. And I want you to stop and think right now, don't you wish your people could be saved? Don't you wish your family could be saved? Don't you wish your friends could be saved? Would you do just about anything to get them over onto God's side once and for all and know that they were going to be on with God the rest of eternity? That's what Paul is saying. I, my desire, and then somebody said on, on Wednesday night, I really like this, somebody said, you know what prayer is for me? Prayer is when my, I'm not going to say it exactly, but my heart's cry is going up to God and probably totally demolishing what that person said. But it's, it's when your heart speaks to God. That's prayer. And that's what, that's what the Apostle Paul here is saying. Is my heart's desire, my prayer, is that my people, the people that I know, the people that I love, would get saved, that God would save them. I'll tell you, how does God save? It's when you start desiring people to get saved. Your heart's cry, your desire, your 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 passion i don't want to use passion too much because i'm about to talk about it but you fervently want people to get saved god's going to start using you to save people he's going to start using you and i want you to look yourself in the mirror and say god is going to start using you to save people at work my family my friends strangers i don't care who it is i am going to be used of god to save people you see god <laughs> god wants everybody to be saved we talked about this there's a place in heaven for everybody i was I, like i told you i had to go to work i work have to work from home most of the time now but i did have to go to work the other day and as i was with some co-workers i was looking at them and thinking in my mind god has a place in heaven for that guy i work with him and i know some of his challenges and you know what i looked at this other co-worker and I thought God has a place in heaven for him and it got me excited instead of thinking oh God when are these guys ever going to get to know you no God's already prepared a place for them and here's the good news he wants them to see, to be saved he's willing that no one would perish look at this Jesus is a sinner seeking savior Jesus is a sinner seeking savior so that means if you look at the toughest case, think in your head right now of the toughest case, you think that person will never go to God. That's the person God is looking for. He's a sinner seeking Savior. He's not willing that anybody should perish as we see in 2 Peter 3.9. So let's read on in verse 2 of Romans 10. Remember, that's where we're parked. Romans 10, always jumping around to other scriptures. I can't help it. That's the way my devotional life goes. It's this crazy, 
whoo, zigzag back and forth, up and down, all over the place. That's just the way it goes. So that's how I speak as well. It's just that happens to be uh, <laughs> the way things are. But verse 2 of Romans 10 says, For I can testify. Remember, Paul's saying, I want this uh, Israelites to be saved. I can testify about them. They are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Now, do you know what zeal and zealousness is? Zeal is passion. Zeal is passion. It's when you're passionate about something. So what he's saying, he says, I can testify about them. They're passionate about God, but their passion is not based on knowledge. Man, that scripture caught my attention this week, and last week as I was reading, I was like, Okay, that's an interesting thought. You can be passionate, but you could be way off in left field going down the wrong path and be thinking, I'm passionate, God. And God's saying, yeah, but you don't know what you're doing. You don't know. You don't know me is what he's saying. You don't know me. So you can be passionate. Last week, I got off a little bit on politics. Do you guys remember that? A little bit. I don't... Can I tell you something? If there's one thing I could care less about personally is, is politics. I, to me, politicians and politics just, it makes me shut down. But what gets me really going is seeing where our country is headed. <laughs> I, that is getting me fired up. I am so frustrated, so angry about where our country is going that I want to do something about it, and hence I got into that political tirade last week. So if that bothered you, I'm very sorry. But I'm with you. I think we're all in the same boat. We don't like what we see, and we'd like to do something about it. So voting. But my point is this. You can be passionate about politics and be way off on le in the left field. You, you're, you, you could be passionate, but it may not be based on knowledge. And that could be very dangerous. Environ you could be envi the strongest environmentalist and talk about global warming and the sea level rising and, and we better save a place for our children and our grandchildren and, and our offspring. We better create a place on the moon and Mars that we can go to when this world falls apart. I've heard a lot of people talking this way. You could be passionate, but if your passion is not based on knowledge, you could be going the wrong direction. You could be passionate about immigration or a host of other different issues, social issues. But if your passion is not based on, on knowledge, you might not be saved. In fact, there's a strong chance you aren't saved because your salvation is based on something that you know. Something that you know, and I'd like to get into this a little bit. Look at what Jesus said in John 8, 31 through 32. It says, to the Jews who had believed in him, and I believe I read this uh, just a week or two ago, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, know, remember what you know, and the truth will set you free. If you hold to my teaching. So what was the Apostle Paul saying? He said, you're zealous, you're passionate, but it's not based on knowledge. The Jews didn't know Jesus. His audience that he was talking to didn't know Jesus. Israelites didn't know Jesus. And, and see, it says, if you hold to my teachings, here's how you know if you know the Lord is if you're doing what he's told you to do. It really is. 
It's as simple and as tough as that. And don't, don't get me wrong. If you fall down and, and scrape your knee by disobedience to the Lord, and I'm not talking your physical knee, but if you trip up and you do something wrong, don't think, oh, I'm not holding to God's teachings. I'm not saved. No, 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 no. We've gone way too far down that path in the past and gotten legalistic. No, it's a matter of the heart and saying, God, I want to know you better. I want to hold fast to your teachings. I want to study your word. I want to memorize your word. I want to practice your word. And so as you're trying to change something about yourself, think about something right now. Does everybody have something in their mind that they'd like and they're trying actively to change about themselves right now? I hope that's everybody. I hope we all have something that we wish we could change about ourselves. That's what you need to do is study what the truth of God is about that thing that you need to change and begin to work with God day after day, month after month, year after year until God has perfected you into the person God wants you to be. It's not, about, it's not that you're perfect now. It's about being perfected step by step, holding to Jesus' teachings, holding to that truth. All right, here's the point. The only place you're ever going to find all the truth in the world in one single place, Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth. So let's study Jesus. Let's get to know Jesus. Let's follow Jesus. And in doing so, we will begin to know what's going to save us. You know Jesus, you, you know salvation. You know Jesus, you know salvation. So what the Israelites were doing is they were trying to work up their own righteousness to earn something from God and Jesus is the only thing that can make you righteous. He's the only person that can make you righteous. So in Colossians 1 verses 9 through 10 it says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. So you just spend all your efforts, not being passionate, spend all your efforts getting to know Jesus. That's, that's where salvation is found in Jesus. And then in verse 10, uh, it talks about figuring out how to please him and then growing in the knowledge of God. Now let me point this out. Truth and knowledge are not relative. You know what that means? In other words, a lot of people, most people say, hey, what? What I think is truth and what Lisa's think is truth, it depends. She can define truth for herself, and I can go define truth for myself. That's a false statement. What's true for Lisa is true for me, and it's defined by Jesus. Truth is not relative. It, it doesn't depend. No, truth is truth. And we've got to know God's truth because the Bible says if you know his truth, you will be set free. That truth, knowing that truth will set you free. So truth is not relative. Here's another thing. Truth is not optional. <laughs> now it's starting to get scary. God's truth is not optional. And it must be followed or there will be consequences. That's terrifying to me. Terrifying enough to make me want to follow the truth. You know, that's the fear of God, by the way. There's just enough scaredness to say, you know what, I'm going to do what God tells me to do because I don't want the alternative. So truth is not optional, and it's not based on the vote of the majority. Truth is not a democratic process. 
truth is what God says truth is, and that's what we need to follow. And you know what? That's going to cause a lot of friction between the church and society. It is. Because there's a lot of things that are culturally acceptable in, in our society that the Bible says that is absolutely wrong. And wrongness is going to get you in trouble. And as soon as you start confronting people out there in the world saying, hey, this is wrong, you're going you're gonna to have some trouble on your hands. That's where persecution comes from. So truth is not a vote of the majority. It is what it is, and it's all found in one beautiful package. I wish I had it, so I'm going to use my phone. Truth is not just on my phone. Truth is in the Bible. This is where I read my Bible all the time is my phone. So the Bible is the truth of God. It's all packaged neatly into one single solitary place that you can find, and when you know truth, you've found salvation. How does God save? Whenever you begin to understand what God's truth is. And you start following that truth. All right? John 14, 17, it says, the, it's speaking of the spirit of truth. In other words, the Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. See, to be saved by God, you've got to accept him. <laughs> you've got to accept everything that comes with him. All the truth that comes with Jesus. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. You, everybody, I believe, everybody in this room, everybody that's listening right now, you know Jesus. You know the truth. Now just follow him. Just follow him with his help every day. Follow that truth. Follow Jesus. So, what you know, what you know can save you and change you, but what you don't know can keep you and I misspelled this, blind and lost. I think I spelt it bind. We'll keep you blind and lost. It's up to us to know the Lord. <laughs> let's go out, let's chase after Jesus and know him because what we know about him will save us. All right, in Titus 1.16, there's people who profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. So here's how you know if you know the truth is if your life starts changing. And I want you to take some credit where credit is due. Has your life changed since you have gotten to know Jesus? Has your life changed? And is your life changing even right now as you know Jesus? You're on the right track. You're on the right track. Instead of looking at your failures, start looking at the successes God has given you in your life. You're on the path of salvation because you're allowing his truth to change you, little by little. So if you profess to know God, but your works don't line up, that's called hypocrisy. That's what a lot of people don't come to church because they say they're a bunch of hypocrites. They say one thing and do another. Let's not be that kind of person. Let's not give someone else the excuse for not following Jesus because our lives don't line up. In Psalms 9:10, it gives us another interesting uh, perspective on knowing uh, God and what it means. It says, those who know your name put their trust in you. Ah, okay, if you know Jesus, you're going to start trusting him. You're going to start trusting him, and that's the, that's the lifelong pursuit of every Christian is learning to trust the Lord. Learning to trust the Lord. I'll give you an example. 
Every single Sunday morning, I have a technical problem in this church. Every single Sunday morning. This Sunday morning, for some reason, we couldn't get this dumb screen to work. All right? And I'm learning. At first, I felt like I was going to have an ulcer. When we were on the line, all of us collectively, I promise you, every Sunday morning, there was a problem with a computer. There was a problem with the software. There was a problem with a phone line. There was a problem with something, some internet. You name it. There was always a problem. I thought, man, I can't wait to get back into church to stop having problems. Well, guess what? For the last three, three weeks, our problems have multiplied exponentially. And so every Sunday morning, I come walking in. I'm thinking, what's going to be the problem today? All right? And sure enough, we had a problem this morning. But you know what God is teaching me? Just chill out. I'm, I'm going I'm to help you fix it. And he has every single time. You learn to trust in God because God is trustworthy. He will come through for you. So stop having an ulcer and let God just take care of just whisper a brief prayer and say god help me with this problem and he will he always will so those who know his name put their trust in him let's jump back into romans 10 verse 3 it says since they did not know the righteousness of god these israelites that paul is so wanting to know god it says those people didn't know the righteousness of god they sought to establish their own They sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Now, if you've been a Christian any length of time, submitting to God is another big challenge. And it's part of trusting the Lord. It's saying, God, you said to go right. Okay, I will go right. Here's the toughest one, though, is God tells you to just wait. And you say, God, I can't wait. I wasn't made to wait. I'm made to get answers now, God. And God says, wait. You've got to submit to the Lord. You just have to. Just wait. Just watch. Just listen. That's submitting to the Lord. And here again it says, because they didn't know God's righteousness, they tried to do it themselves, they couldn't submit to the Lord. And I challenge you, that's why we can't submit to God, is we're constantly trying to perform ourselves instead of letting Jesus perform for us. He's, perf- he's, he's done everything that you need to get to heaven, to be saved, to live a joyful life. Let's rely on his work instead of relying on our own work. Does that make sense? That's a big, 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 big lesson to learn. His righteousness, not my, my own righteousness. And the words that I come up with, uh, submit, I get, I, it makes sense. But what really rings a bell with me is cooperation with God. I'm just going to cooperate with God. I'm going to keep in step with him. When he stops, I'm going to stop. When he goes, I'm going to go. When he runs, I'm going to run. When he works, I'm going to work. All right? I'm going to cooperate with him. Now, here's the thing. Talking to speaking of God's righteousness versus my own. Um, if I don't search for something, I'm never going to know it. I'm never going to know it. If I hadn't chased my wife down, dated her, tried to get her to like me, all right? Tried to impress her. I remember, and to this day, I still try to impress her. Do something, I would have never known Tina. I had to pursue her she was she is and was 
insanely beautiful and there was other guys chasing her. I had to beat all those guys out for her. All right? You know what? God, we need to see God the same way. We're never going to know God unless we start chasing after God. Looking for God. The Bible uses the term seeking him. Go look for God and you will get to know him. He's a prize worth winning. He's a prize worth winning is the Lord, God Almighty, the Savior of my soul. I want to know him, so I'm going to chase after God and ensure my salvation. Ensure my salvation. If I'm chasing after God, I'm not going to hell. <laughs> if I'm seeking after the Lord, I'm not going to lose my salvation. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ensure my salvation by seeking after him and making him the highest the greatest thing in my life and that's brother jimmy's favorite scripture seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all those other things that you might be willing to pursue they'll be added to you as well they'll be added to you as well i think it's proverbs 21 21 we don't have it on the screen here but it says something to this effect pursue love and righteousness and you will find honor, prosperity, and life. Wow! The things that you want so much in life are found in Jesus' righteousness. In Jesus' righteousness. So let's chase after that. Well, here's a, a key, point of, uh, key point I'd like to make. You're not going to look for Jesus' righteousness until you're interested in it. You've got to be curious about the things of God in order to even look for the things of God. You've got to be interested in this stuff. It's got to capture your attention, capture your imagination, capture your curiosity, if you will. Be curious about the things of God. How does all of this work? This sermon is an example of this. I'm curious to know how God saves. So I got curious, I started reading about it. And now I'm even more interested all right, so let your curiosity, every question you have in your head, every doubt that you have in your head should be a trigger for you to read your Bible. Everyone, because you're curious about it. So go down that. If I send you a text to read Psalms 37, but you're interested in something else, blow off my text, man. Go read what's, what you're curious about. Go after what, what interests you in the Bible. Because that is what's going to have you chasing after God, your own curiosity, your own interest. But let's read on in verse 4 of Romans 10. It says, Christ, he's already said, you know, they saw it after, they didn't seek after God's own righteousness. They tried to get their own. They didn't submit to God's righteousness. So in verse 4, Jesus is the culmination of the law. So that, um, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. What, is, what on earth does this verse mean? Jesus is a culmination. You know what culmination means? It's like, uh, and probably a horrible definition, but it's like when a volcano explodes, it finally culminates into something huge. It's, it's when something finally happens. You finally win the race. You finally are healed. It culminates. It all the stars finally align and things start happening for you. It culminates. Jesus is the culmination of the law. 
of all the perfections that you're seeking, Jesus already did it. He already won the race for you. All you have to do is join forces with him. He already did it all. Just start cooperating with him. He did all the hard work. Now just work with Jesus. Just be with him. Follow him. That's why in Acts 13.39 it says, Through him, through Jesus, everyone who believes is justified. Do you know how good it feels to feel clean inside and say, All my wrongdoings are gone. <laughs> That's a good feeling. I, you know, I messed up in the future, but you know what? I can't even remember what that felt like to feel bad about that. My dad was reminding me of Charles Spurgeon, the same person that Sarah quoted, this pastor back from the 1800s. Uh, no, it was Finney. It was Finney, Charles Finney. He, he gave his heart to the Lord. And he says, I want to feel bad about myself, but I can't feel bad anymore. <laughs> I can't, I feel good about myself. And so he tried well, try to work it up like, I'm a bad person. I'm messed up. But he couldn't feel bad anymore. That's what it is to be justified. That's what it is to be justified. And it says right here, whoever believes on Jesus will be justified. All the condemnation, the shame, the guilt, the bad feelings are washed away. You have a clean conscience with the Lord. Praise God. Acts 13, 39. What a powerful scripture. But you won't be justified through the law. Why? Because Jesus is the culmination of the law. He's the final whatever you call it. He's the fulfillment of the law. He fulfilled everything in you. And listen to this. He's the fulfillment of the law. Here in Romans 8 verses 2 through 4. I'm going to skip right down to verse 4. It says, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in you. Not outside of you. Inside of you. Jesus comes in. He zaps the sin in your life without hurting you. Just like chemotherapy is supposed to work. Radiation is supposed to work. Zaps the sin in you and fulfills the law inside of you. You are a perfect person in his sight. Perfect person in his sight as long as his son Jesus is living in your heart. Isn't that powerful? That's how God saves people. He pays the price for them and he says, just know me. Get to know me more. I've already paid all the price for you. You're, you're, you're saved. You are safe. To be saved, by the way, is to be safe. You are safe in his arms. The secret place of the Most High God. So he's fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law for us, all those things that make you feel bad about yourself, he's done. So all you have to do is look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Now this was Charles Spurgeon when he got saved. He was sitting in a, a little church and the pastor was just saying, just look at Jesus. Look to Jesus. And Spurgeon was like, that's all I have to do? Just look to Jesus? And he began to look to Jesus. And as he looked to Jesus, he was saved. Wow. He looked to Jesus and he was saved. And here's a couple of verses. Don't worry, we're almost done. John 6, 40 says, my father's will that everyone who looks to the son looks. Just look at Jesus. You will be saved and believes on him shall have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. It's so important to take your eyes off your problems. Say, I just look to Jesus. Take your, your eyes off yourself. Look up at Jesus. You're saved every time you look to him. 
every time you look to him. But that verse is eclipsed by this verse. In other words, outdone by this verse. In 2 Corinthians 8, uh, 3.18, it says, And we all, with unveiled faces, behold the glory of the Lord. You begin to look at the glory of the God and the goodness of God, the mercies of God, the wonders of the acts of God, the word of God. You behold the glory of God and you are transformed um, into the same image from one degree to another. See, you, you looked at God, you look at Jesus for a while and you grow this much. You look at God a little bit more and you grow this much. You look at God some more and you grow one degree to another. You might say, I don't like where I'm at. I want to be closer to God. Keep looking at Jesus in the word of God, at his example. Pick out a person you admire and say, I like Jesus in that person. I want to be just like that person. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and you will be transformed into his image simply by looking at him. That salvation process will continue to work in your life as you look at Jesus. That's why in Hebrews 12 too, it says, fix your eyes on Jesus. The author, the pioneer, the perfecter of your faith. Just look at what you want to be and you will be what you want to be. Amen. That's why it, that goes for anything in life. I hear of people who want to be rich. What do they do? They watch people who are rich over and over again. They read books about people who are rich. They, they do what rich people do, and eventually they become a rich person. I don't care to be a rich person. I just want to be what God wants me to be. So pick an example and follow that example and let that example be Jesus. And you will become more and more and more like him simply by looking at him. Let's close at this. Put your attention on Jesus. All right, Colossians 3, 1 through 2, it says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. We say, how can I do that? Wait, what, is a, what is a heavenly thing that I should put my... Peace is a heavenly thing. So put your mind on peace. Uh, love is a heavenly thing. Think about love. Hope is a heavenly thing. Set your thoughts on hopeful thoughts. All right? The word of God is a heavenly thing. Set your mind on the word of God. A promise that Jesus has given you for the salvation of your loved ones is a heavenly thought. Think about that thought. There's, there's countless heavenly things you can think about. So put your thoughts on heavenly things. Has God healed you in the past? Put your thoughts on that healing act that God did for you and be thankful for it. That's all this verse is saying. So let's summarize just really quick. How does God save people? First of all, Jesus is a sinner-seeking Savior, period. He's the one that's going after. He's going after you. He's going after the people that you care for as well. You get stressed out or your kids that are growing up, they don't know Jesus. You know what? Jesus knows that. He's going after them hard, hard, hard right now. He's contending with them. Number two, 
Um, what you know can save you and change you. So get to know Jesus more, more and more and more and more. There's endless things to know about the Lord. Praise God. Number three, cooperate with Jesus. Cooperate with him. If he's telling you to stop doing something, stop doing it. Here's what I've found, by the way. When God tells me to stop doing, doing something, he empowers me to stop doing it at the same time. His command, in fact, is his empowerment to do the very thing or not do the very thing that he's telling me to do. I'm starting to experience that and realize that more and more. And lastly, look at Jesus and pay attention to him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Jesus, for this time together. We thank you, God, Lord, for your word that's so rich and powerful. Lord, we want to be contagious Christians, but we can't be contagious Christians unless, unless we know how you save people. We need to know how you save people. So, Lord, help us to dig into this concept, this un- un- gain an understanding and wisdom and revelation about how you operate so that we can co-labor with you, Heavenly Father. Lord, help us not to be so self-focused about what we do and not do. Just look at Jesus. As we look at him, we can't go wrong. There's nothing that can wrong that can be done as we behold Jesus, as we look at Jesus, as we set our our hearts and our minds on heavenly things. So God, help us this week. This week we pray and be with us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, I'm going to say this just really quick. If you're listening in and you've never opened your heart to the Lord and you'd like to do that right now, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. You could be on the line. You could be here in the room. Uh, you could be listening to the recording maybe some sometime down the line here you want to open your heart to Jesus, I encourage you to do that right now. And I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for any person, Lord. I have progressively opened my heart to the Lord day after day, week after week. I've asked you, Jesus, to come into my life hundreds of times. Lord, and today is no exception. I pray for those that are listening right now. I pray for myself. And I invite you, Lord Jesus, Christ Jesus, to come into my life. I open the door. I'm taking down the obstacles and the barriers and the excuses and the the doubts and saying, Jesus, I shove all of this stuff out of the way. Please come into my life. Please come into my life. Be the righteousness that I've tried to be for myself that hasn't worked out for me. Be the righteousness that I need you to be. And I thank you, Heavenly Father, for it. In your name, I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.